So one of the things I'm known for when I preach is to repeat myself. Get it out of your system. Uh, one of the things I've learned is that the more you can repeat something, the more somebody has a chance of remembering it. So I'm a repeater, and I think there's power in it. I know it can be annoying because there aren't, listen, there are some people that can hear something one time and they remember it. They don't need any prompting, okay? There are other people that you could remind them 12 times and they'll still forget. And so I do tend to repeat myself. And so for those of you that are annoyed by that, I'm sorry. Um, hope you can get past it. Uh, for those of you that aren't, good, because I'm going to repeat myself a little bit tonight uh, because I think it's important. And the reason I do it is because I think the Bible's connected. I think it's absolutely impossible to teach scripture and act as if it's independent from one another. I think that's part of the problem with Bible teachers is they made the Bible independent. And because of that, they just tell individual stories. And the reality is it's one story, right? About one issue with one God and one son. And so it's one continuous story that can be told in its linear path, but it's all connected. And so... When you get into the, the New Testament after the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, then you have the epistles that tell the story of the church. And they begin to teach these truths that are spread across all of these letters written to these brand new churches. And we're in one of those visions, chapter in Ephesians that Paul wrote to the churches in Ephesus, these house churches that he planted along the way, spent spent a lot of time there with in teaching them. And so... Reports come to him, concerns arise, and he writes a letter. Okay, and so in this letter, he writes what is arguably one of the the better letters of Scripture when it comes to understanding theology. Because if you read Ephesians 1, 2, 3, you get a great picture of the theology of God and his salvation and the way it works. If you read chapters 4, 5, and 6, you get a great practical way of how it applies to your life. Whether you're a child, whether you're a parent, whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, whether you're a slave, right? You learn lots of ways to implement the theology of being a believer in Jesus. And then he wraps it up at the end and he sort of gives them this raw, raw speech, right? This locker room speech before it's time to go out and apply these things, right? And in it, he gives the speech of putting on the full armor of God, right? And so we kicked, we kicked all of this off, right? With this pregame speech, right? And here's what I want you to do. So here, here's the first point of tonight's sermon. Okay, the first point is, everybody say this word, remember. Listen, this, this whole thing that we're going to spread over the next six weeks, it's all connected. So I'm going to remind you every week that I don't forget that it all starts with these verses in Ephesians chapter 6, verse, verse 11, right? Here's what it says. Everybody read that first line with me. Everybody online, everybody here, read it with me. Put. Here's what I need you to remember. If you weren't here with us, this will be new. If you weren't, hopefully this will be the second, 12th, 14th time you've heard me say it. Right? The Bible was written in a language called Koine Greek. Koine Greek was not a spoken language. It was a language developed simply for writing. So it is a very intricate language, right? The English language is 
intricate only because we've added a ton of nuances and slang to it. But the words are really simple, right? I love pizza, I love my dog, I love coffee, and I love you. So you feel the same way about me as you do your pizza, your dog, and your coffee, right? That's a pretty simplistic language. You agree with me, yes or no? Koine Greek is not like that. Koine Greek has lots of language nuances not based on slang. And anybody who teaches scripture without understanding the language, to me, there's some danger in that. Because if you can't listen, if you repeat a story and you don't repeat it within the context, you're not trustworthy. Yes or no? Listen, if you just pull words out of a story and pull words out of a conversation and you tell them as if it's the entire context, you're not a trustworthy person. That's why none of us trust our teenage kids. Right? Because they often just share half-truths. Right? Listen, when you teach scripture without understanding the language of the writer, you miss so much. So people read this, put on the full armor of God. And you read that in the English language. And the first thing you think about is, okay, I got to put this on. And how often do I got to put it on? Right? Thank you. Thank you. Good, smart Bible people who were here and listen. But if you don't know what I taught you, and you hear this, and you say, put on the full armor of God in the English language, we think it's the way it works in English. How often do you have to put clothes on? Every day. So when it says put on the full armor of God based upon our English language, we think we need to put it on how often? Every day. And so we teach that and we preach that. And guess what? There are days you and I are just too sticky and exhausted to do it. Yes? It's just too much. It's just too much. And guess what happens if you don't do it every day? You what? You lose. You get beat. Because that's what we're taught. Because that's what preachers preach. Right? So we teach these things as if it's your responsibility to make sure you do this every day because you're in a fight. If you don't do this right, you're going down, down, down. And do you know how quickly it is, how easy it is to get quickly discouraged in your walk of faith if it's all up to you every day? Yeah. Any of you that have tried to diet, exercise, do anything with discipline. Listen, motivation will last for a season. Discipline lasts forever, which is why most of us struggle with discipline. And those of you that haven't, thank you. You're probably in the wrong church, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, right? But the reality is when you study the language that Paul used, he uses a tense that in the Koine Greek language is called aorist. And the aorist tense indicates, deals with both, usually deals with time, but sometimes it deals with time and the aspect of whatever the verb is, right? But most of the time it deals with time, it deals with past. And almost always in the aorist tense, it's something that happens back there and it only had to happen how many times? Once. So when you study the phrase, put on, in the Greek, it's a verb. Surprise, surprise, it's an action. Right? And guess what? If you want to know the truth, this word right here in the Greek, put on, it's not even a verb, it's a participle. Now I know some of you are going to go, what is he talking about? Just hang on. This is a participle. And the participle in the Greek language refers to the verb in the sentence. And the verb in the sentence, when you break it down, is take your... That's the verb. So what the participle says is this action is connected to this action... And they happen simultaneously. 
So if you want to take your stand against the devil's schemes, you better do what? Put on the full armor. And here's the way we teach it in English. You better do that every day. Because if you don't, the devil's going to get you. And how many days does the devil win? Because you don't feel like doing that. Too often. But scripture says this. This participle is in the aorist tense. It's in the aorist tense and it's in the middle tense, which means it's something that happens in the past. You do it one time and you do it because it benefits yourself. And it's related to your success of taking your stand against the devil. Changes everything, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden you recognize as a believer how many times you got to put the armor on. Everybody say it. Once. And you're always clothed in it. This admonition that Paul's giving them isn't for a daily existence, right? For you to succeed and fail in. This is an admonition to get yourself saved and stand in the might of Jesus' strength. Because it's the only way you're going to stand against the schemes. And you're going to learn that tonight as we walk through the breastplate of righteousness. But here's what you and I need to remember when it's the belt of truth, when it's the breastplate of righteousness. Because guess which tense of verb the writer continues to use? He uses what tense? Aorist. He uses a tense that says you do this one time. So guess how many times you have to do it? But guess how many times you've been taught, you've been convinced, you tell your kids, you better suit up every day because it's going to be a fight. You know what? If I'm a believer, I'm already suited up. Somebody say amen. That changes everything, doesn't it? If it doesn't, you don't understand the power of it. And the only reason I know this is because before I came here, I was blessed with the opportunity to be a sheriff's deputy. You know, I had no experience to be a sheriff's deputy. Zero. But the sheriff knew me, came to me one day and said, I need a deputy. I don't need a deputy who'll go out on the road and do traffic stops. I need a deputy who'll work in town, who'll work court security, who will do prisoner transport. I need somebody that I can trust to do that. Would you be willing to do it? Let me pray about it. Came back next day and said, yes, I got, I got trained. I got tased, which was a blast, right? Every off duty officer came in to watch the pastor get tased to see if he would cuss. I got, I got two letters out before I went down. All right. But I went through that and here's what happened when it was all over. They gave me a uniform. They gave me a belt. It had a holster and a Glock 9mm in it. And then I had a taser on one side. I had handcuffs in the back. I had a badge, a uniform. I had a tie. I had a sheriff's car. I was suited up. And here's what I found out. That suit made a difference. Now, it may not make a difference in the world today, but I, I lived in central southern Illinois in a town of about 35, 4,000 people in central Illinois. So they felt differently about police officers. So when I walked around with my uniform on, guess what? The uniform spoke before I ever entered a room. You know what I'm talking about? Here's the thing. If you're a believer that puts on the armor of God, hey, will you bring that verse back up? David Ephesians 6, 11. If you put on the full armor of God and you keep it on, guess what? People recognize it. It says something about you. But if you've been taught and convinced that this is something I got to do every day, it's crazy. And what's, in what's more importantly is you've already done it. Those of you that know Jesus, you've accepted Jesus, confessed Jesus, been baptized in Jesus online in here. Say amen. It's yours. 
Now all you got to do is stand in it. You got to stand. And when you've done all to stand, stand again. Guess what tense that's in? Aorist. Because all you got to do is take your stand against the devil once through Jesus and you what? You win. Now here's the thing. Satan's going to try to get you to not stand. He's going to try to get you to keel over. And he's going to try to get you to move. And one of the greatest ways done is convinced you that you got to put your armor on every day. Now, if you study Roman soldiers, armor, it, it weighed about 70 pounds. The average weight of a Roman soldier's armor from head to toe was about 70 pounds. Are there any of you that have ever felt the weight of putting on your spiritual armor? Some days feels like 70 extra pounds you're carrying because you just don't feel like being righteous. You just don't, you just don't feel like having peace or giving peace to people in your life. That you just don't want to deal with the truth anymore. Listen, the reality is there's days that the spiritual armor can feel as heavy as 70 pounds if you're convinced the responsibility of the believer is to put it on every day. And yet he says, put it on. Happens one time, it's in the aorist tense, it's in the middle voice, meaning you do it because it's going to benefit you. He says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your what? Not a fight, take your what? Not fight, take your what? Take your stand. And he says this, stand against what? The devil's schemes. You're not standing against the Democratic Party. You're not standing against the Republican Party. You're not standing against President Biden or President Trump. You're not standing against these people. You're standing against who? The devil's schemes. Because our, because our wrestling match is against these. In, but this, this dude right here, this dude right here held our debt. He was in charge of our outcome. And through Jesus, we won. Somebody say Amen. But he's got schemes. And guess what his schemes are designed to do? To make you not stand. That's what he's after. I don't need you to stand. I need you to move. I need you to fail. Because the word stand, right, is exactly that. It's the idea to bear up. That with the weight on you, don't give in. Don't collapse. Right? Hang in there. Because the devil's desire is to get you to what? Quit. Paul said, I have fought the fight. I have what? Finished the race. And I've kept my faith. If you can't finish, if you can't finish, you can't get the crown. So you got to finish, which means you need to take your what? And take your stand. And here's the thing. If you think that the armor that comes with our identity in Jesus is your responsibility to put on every day, you're in trouble. Your marriage is in trouble. Your kids are in trouble. But if you know that through Jesus, you can get it one time and you put it on and it lasts forever, you're never in trouble. You just got to be smart enough to know how to use it. So he says, put on formal armor of God so you can stand against the devil's schemes. He goes on to say this, our struggle, right? That word is not fight. That word in actual Greek means vibrate. It's the actual idea of two things colliding and they vibrating on the collision. He says that vibration in your life is not against flesh and blood. So it's not Trump. It's not Biden. It's not any of these people that we're angry at. People we want to be angry at. People that we feel justified at being angry at. Right? And he said it's not against those people. But here's who it's against. This is the collision in your world. It's against rulers. Against authorities. Right? Against powers of which world? The dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Guess whose name's absent? Say it. Satan's name's absent. Because 
He ain't no enemy anymore. He's been embarrassed, humiliated, disarmed, defeated. Somebody say, hallelujah. He's not our enemy anymore. Because guess what? We have defeated him through our faith in who? Jesus, because Jesus met Satan strength for strength and guess whose strength won? Come on, say it like it means something to you. Jesus. So he doesn't have any say. Now his cronies are out working their working out his schemes. Satan's the commander in chief sitting in his office and he's got all of these minions out running and I've got a scheme and it's for cord and I need you to carry it out. But I can tell you this, have you learned that you're covered in the armor every day and you learn how to stand in it? Satan won't, th- those people won't have a shot against you. Those schemes won't work against you. But you got to understand, it's not me getting up a day like you're in the military and the, bug- the, the horn sounds, right? For Rebelly at 5 a.m. And you got to make your bed and get ready. It's not like that. That fight's already been won. You're, that fight's over. Now you're just standing so the scheme won't take you under. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians 4? When he talks about equipping saints for the work of ministry. Ultimately why? So we won't be tossed about here and there. Fro and yawn. Right? By every wind of doctrine. Do you know how many people come to church and leave church and then come back to church because they're searching for something else? Guess what they're not doing? They're not taking their what? They're not taking a stand. They're looking for something different because they don't understand what they already have. So he says, our, that's, 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 our, that's our struggle. And then he says this, therefore, put on the full armor of God. That one's in the aorist infinitive. The aorist infinitive means single action, single moment, one time, lasts forever. Clear as a bell. Aorist indicative. Aorist indicative active. Do it once, do it back there, and it lasts forever. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil, I hate that translation, right? The day of testing, right? The day of trial. Right? The day of that struggle comes. Guess what? You may be able to what? Stand your ground. 36 years of ministry, I have seen more people come and go from church than I've ever seen come to church. And you want to know why? Because they don't know how to take their stand. And half the time they don't know how to take their stand because they're being lied to or taught poorly about what standing in faith is. All of your strength All of your might, all of your victory comes through whom? Jesus. And how many times does he have to save you? Come on, say it. Once. So how many times did you have to put on the armor of God? Once. I'm already armored up. I'm already a bad, bad man in Jesus. I'm not weak, right? I'm not unprotected. I'm covered in the armor of God every day, every night. The only difference is I act like I'm not. And if I act like I'm not, guess who'll convince me I'm not? Schemes of the devil. Because man, they whisper loud, don't they? So he says, bring that verse back up. You may be able to stand your ground and after you have done what? Everything, all you got to do is what? You just got to stand, man. You just got to stand. It's amazing how much we've made this about a fight. When this is about standing our ground. 
right? So we got to remember, let me read two other verses to you. Skip the first Corinthians passage, Dave, and go down to Ephesians one. Let's read Ephesians one in Jesus. We were chosen, been predestined according what? According to the plan of him. That's God who works out everything. God works out what? Everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Stop that right there. Bring that verse back up. Listen, if you're ever wondering what's happening in your life, you ever wondering what's going on, remember this verse. God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. All you need to ask God is if you're uncertain, God, show me the purpose of your will in this because I don't get it. You ain't got to ask why. You can. He ain't going to be mad at you. But if you want to get past why, ask him. Because it tells you, here's the truth. God works out how many things? Everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That's why I say God never wastes a thing. God doesn't waste a thing. No matter what you look at and go, man, this is a waste of time. This is so stupid. I can't believe. Listen, you can distrust that God's going to work out everything to the conformity of the purpose of his will. He's just not wasting it. So you don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to get stressed. You don't have to get angry. God's going to work it all out. But God who works everything out to the conformity conformity with the purpose of his will, he says this, in order, here's why God does that, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, check this out, the reason why God works everything for the purpose of his will is so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, who were the first to hope in Christ, church? Come on, say it. We are. Say, I am. Do you, do you understand? Did you hear what God just said? I work everything, everything out according to the purpose of my will so that you and me, you online and me who are the first to hope in Jesus, he says this might be for the praise of his glory. You want to know what God's doing in your life? He's working everything out so that you can praise him. Not your church, not your pastor. So you can praise who? You can praise him. You don't have to wonder what God's doing. Now you may wonder what your husband's doing. That's probably a legitimate question. You may wonder what your wife's doing. That's probably a legitimate question. You may wonder what your kids are doing. God knows that's a legitimate question, right? But you don't have to worry about what God's doing because he tells He he just told you exactly what he does. He works everything out. With conformity to the purpose of his will. In order that we who first hoped in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. You want to know what God's doing? He's working in your life to make sure that you give him what? Glory. Now, painful? Sure. Frustrating? Abundantly. Full of blessing sometimes? 100%. But it's all for the praise of whose glory? His glory. Right? He goes on to say this, and you, me, who were included in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Bring the verse right before that back up. In Christ, you were excluded in Christ when you heard the word of what? truth, the gospel of your salvation. Then guess what happened? Then what does it say? Go on the next verse. Having believed you were marked in him with a seal. See, here's the thing. The armor of God, right? The armor of God is the great thing that allows you and I 
to be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That word of truth that we believed, it's all represented in the armor of God. You see, when you put on the armor of God, you know what you do? You defeat the enemy. And our enemy, according to scripture, is who? It's the devil. It's the devil. He has held our debt over us, causing us to fear death all day long. And you know what Jesus did? He set us free from that enemy. And then he said, when you believe that truth, put on the armor of God. Because it's free with it. It's yours. Hey, Cord, you want to be a sheriff's deputy? Yes. Here's the training. Yes. Guess what comes with it? A uniform. And a loaded gun. And a badge. And a taser. And a car. It comes with it. Guess what comes with believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? The belt of truth. Somebody say amen. The breastplate of righteousness. The helmet of our salvation. Feet shod with the preparation for peace in the gospel. A shield of faith and a sword of the spirit. And guess what? They're ours because we know who? Because we know Jesus. And when you know they're yours. And you only get them, have to go get them one time. You've defeated the enemy. And now you're prepared to take your stand. Amen? So you got to remember. Here's the last verse. Want to want to include this? Second Thessalonians two. This is why this is so important, right? This is why it's so important. So maybe you're online tonight, or maybe you're in here and you haven't accepted Jesus. First of all, glad you're here. Second of all, Joe's not like me, so come listen to him on the weekends. You'll feel better about this church, okay? Paul's talking to a church who's concerned that Jesus has returned and they got left behind, and so he's writing these letters to address some of this concern and some of the false teaching. And in his second letter. He gets even more deep into the weeds about this whole second coming thing, right? So in 2 Thessalonians 2, he gives a pretty in-depth in talk about this man of lawlessness that has to appear, right? We know the man of lawlessness in Scripture as the Antichrist, okay? He says all this stuff isn't going to happen until he shows up. So let's not panic because he isn't here yet. But he says this in the end of chapter 2. Listen to this. Don't you remember that when I was with you, Paul said, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him, right? The Antichrist, this son of perdition, right? This, this man of lawlessness, this evil being, right? Because the spirit of the Antichrist is present in our world today. But the spirit of Antichrist will eventually come in the form of the man, the Antichrist. The Bible says, you know what's holding him back while he's not here yet? And you know, he says, and you know what's holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. If you go through scripture and you find all this out, you know what's holding him back is the church. He ain't coming till we're gone. When we're gone, he's coming. Two things are going to happen simultaneously. The church is going to be raptured and the man of, the man of lawless and the antichrist is going to pop onto the scene. It's going to happen. But until the church leaves, you ain't got to worry about the Antichrist coming. So I remember when President Obama was running for election and people in, people in white Southern Illinois were like, he's the Antichrist. No, he's not. Neither was Pope Francis, right? Or Pope John or whoever that we thought it was the Antichrist. And you know why? Because guess what's still here? Church. 
Now check this out. It says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Yes or no? <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. But the one who now holds it back, so now it's not just the church. Now he says the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. Which part of the Trinity is still present in our world today that when he leaves, the man of lawlessness can come? The Holy Spirit. So it isn't just the church, it's the presence of the Spirit in the sealed people who believe in Jesus. He says, when that's gone, he says, Jesus, the man of lawlessness is going to come. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus this is so awesome. This is revelation boiled down to one sentence. Whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with what? The breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been around people with bad breath that destroyed me with one whiff, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Do you know that in all the hoop, all the hoop law, and all of the evil and all of the destruction that happens in Revelation, when Jesus shows up, he doesn't throw a punch. And you want to know why? Because Satan's already what? He's already lost. Jesus comes back on this horse of white. And the Antichrist has built his armies across the world to stand against him. And Jesus has brought this army from heaven. And in the battle, there's this great buildup. And then the angel says to the birds, get ready to feast. Because there's going to be carcasses galore. And you know what happens? Not one arrow is thrown. Not one spear is plunged. Not one fire-breathing arrow goes through the air. Jesus simply opens his mouth and it's over. You want to know why? Satan has already been defeated. And you know what you're believing in and accepting when you accept Jesus? You're accepting that Satan has already been what? Defeated. And your armor proves it. And you get it how many times? And it lasts for how long? Do not let the devil convince you otherwise. Because listen to what he says. The coming of a lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. Right? Antichrist is coming at his behest. Right? Displayed. And how's he coming when the Antichrist get here? He's going to be displayed in what? All kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Hmm. Makes you think about whether we're preparing for that moment with all the counterfeit miracles that are happening in the world today. Right? He says, that's going to happen. And in every sort of evil, you think the world's devising new evil every day? Feels that way, doesn't it? Even though Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, I almost think he's wrong. Because it feels like there's new evil all the time. I mean, we're concerned about building a robotic base that's going to destroy our planet. That feels like something new under the sun, yes? Right? He says, in every sort of evil that deceives, listen to this, listen to this, the evil that deceives those who are what? They're perishing. Now check this out. Why are they perishing? They perish because they refuse to love the, and so be, stop. Leave it right there, David. 
You want to know the key to, to being saved? It's to know the what? Come on, say it. Everybody say the word truth. Right? Online, say the word truth. Listen, the truth is going to save you. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the, and I am the life. No man can get to the Father except through me. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And if you are free, you are free indeed. People who perish are people who don't love the truth and aren't saved. And you know what the truth of scripture is? That if you stand in Jesus, Satan's been defeated through his power and his might. And if you wear the armor, you prove to the world and to the enemy, that's my stand and I believe him. If you take it off or act like you don't wear it, do you know what the scheme of the devil's going to be? To take advantage of that. So it's going to happen. And so if you think this armor thing is about you, you're wrong. It's about who? Jesus. And you get it from knowing the truth. Because when you know the truth, you know Jesus. And when you know Jesus, you get saved. And here, here you go. Put on this outfit. It's yours. It comes with a helmet. It comes with the breastplate. It comes with the belt. It comes with shoes over our feet. It comes with the sword and a shield. And guess what? It's yours how often? And guess what it reminds the devil? That he's what? He's lost. He's been defeated. And then check what happens to people who don't want to love truth and be saved. Look at what God does. A time of grace ends. And the Bible says this. Next verse. For this reason. What reason? Because they won't love truth and be saved. God will send a powerful delusion to them so that they will believe the what? The lie. And so that all will be condemned who haven't believed the what? Truth, read the word Jesus, but have delighted in wickedness. Do you know what the most important thing the church is supposed to do? It's supposed to get people to who? That's the most important thing we do. Because if we can't get people to Jesus, they can't be saved. This is why I say all the time, stop worrying about getting them to, to your political viewpoint. Who cares? It's the only reason I serve with a Cardinal fan, because who cares? Because if I, because if I didn't believe it, Joe and I wouldn't be friends. Do you think that's funny? I'm serious, okay? But all of that stuff doesn't matter. Because do you look, look at when you boil it down to when the Antichrist comes, there's going to come a time where God's going to go, I can't, I can't do any more for him. So you know what? I'm just going to help believe the lie. And I'm just going to let them live in their condemnation. And that's going to be the end of it. And why? Because they wouldn't love the truth. And they wouldn't be saved. Man, for those of you that are believers, you need to know this. You need to know that you're not fighting Satan. He's a liar. Amen. He's a disguiser. Amen. But he's a defeated person. Amen. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, uh, men, those of you in here are men or fathers. You ever take your kid out when he was six, seven years old and play him in a game of basketball and back him down and knock him to the ground and dunk over him? If you didn't, you were a bad dad. Okay. You should have, right? You should have. You should have made him know that, that he was defeated the second he walked onto the court. Because there's going to come a time when he walks in the court and knows you're defeated, right? 
Listen, we walk on with a cord and we give a defeated foe an advantage when we go, I know, I'm not sure if I'm armored up today. I'm not sure if I'm ready today. I'm not sure if I believe today. I'm not sure if I'm righteous today. I'm not sure if I'm ready today. And the enemy goes, you know what? I think you're right. I don't think you're righteous today. And I don't think you're peaceful today. And I don't think that you're ready today. And you know what? This is going to be easy for you, for me. But if you every day walk out there like, already won. And here's the thing. You might have to say it even when you don't feel it. And those of you who think faith is about how you feel, get over that. Because your feelings might be genuine, but they're fake in regard to truth. Right now, I feel a couple things, but they're just feelings. Listen, you and and I don't live in a world where we act on our feelings all the time. Or at least I hope you don't. Because if you're a person that lives on your feelings all the time, you're alone. And probably very, very unhappy. But if you're a person that understands that my feelings sometimes can't win, you understand that your faith is the same way. Listen, you may come to church and go, you know, I don't feel like it. I feel like a failure. Great. It's okay. But you know the truth, amen. And the truth is, you've got a belt of truth. You've already got a breastplate of righteousness. Hey, last night when I went out, I had like a moron. Didn't honor Jesus, right? Just didn't honor Jesus. It was Saturday night. And you know what? I'm not worthy to go to church. So I'm not going to go. But next week I'll be there because next Saturday night I won't be stupid. Do you know how wrong that is to do? Because guess who won? Satan convinced you you weren't worthy to what? To stand before your God. Is that true? Yes or no? No. And yet happens all the time. Where's Billy at? Well, Billy's got his life in a mess. And if you're Billy online or in here, sorry, right? He says... Right. He says, Billy says, well, he made a church in six months. What's the matter with Billy? Well, Billy's life's in a mess. He went this way and that way. Well, the question is, why did he decide to get rid of church? Well, here's why. Because he got convinced that he's no longer worthy. God doesn't want to hear from him. Preacher doesn't want to see him. Is that right? No, because he's wearing the what? He's wearing the armor of God. He's already righteous because of whose righteousness? See how this works? It makes all the difference in the world in the way that you walk in your faith. And so many Christian people don't do it. And there's a million Billies and there's a million Mrs. Billies who don't come to church because their life's gotten in a mess. And this isn't a place for me. And I can't pray because God doesn't want to hear from me. And our children act the same way. You want to know why? Because we tell them that's the way. You better get yourself right with God. You better make sure that you stop doing that stuff. You know that God sees everything you're doing. You're going to be in big trouble. I don't understand why we do that. It's just not, it's just not true. So you got to remember, you got to remember. Now I'm just going to start with the second one real quick. And listen, my, my friend makes fun of me, but I've decided on Wednesday nights to make sure that I get out of time for children's ministry. And I've decided that when I'm not done with the sermon, I'm just bringing it back and finish it next week. Are you okay with that? All right. And you, that, the fact that some of you were willing to accept that and those that you aren't have kept your mouth shut. Thank you. Okay. Really, very, very appreciate that. But I do want to start this because I want to make sure that we start on the righteousness thing, right? Because we get a bit, a breastplate of righteousness. Okay. So you got to remember the armor's yours once it lasts for how long? Forever. And you get that because you know who? Jesus, don't let the devil convince you otherwise, because we're going to circle back to that. Now let's talk about righteousness real quick. The word righteousness, right? The word righteousness from, comes from a word didache or decay, right? In the Greek, and it means right. It ultimately became to mean a, ju- a judicial approval. It was a word that was used over and over and over and over again in the court system, right? It meant in a court, a judge went not guilty. 
That's what it was. It was ultimately judicial approval of your right standing. Okay? Keep that in mind. A couple of verses real quick just to, just to get it started. Right? Because why do you need a breastplate of righteousness? Why is this a big deal? Matthew 5, 6 says this, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. Hunger and thirst for that right. Remember what the word means? It means what? Judicial what? Approval. See, I had to repeat it and you still didn't remember it. Righteousness means judicial approval. It's a legal declaration. Everybody say legal. It's not personal. It's not subjective based on how he feels about you. Hey, I look at that person and I really like them. You know what? You're okay. That person, you're sort of mean. I'm not sure about you. God doesn't do it that way. He does judicial approval, which is based on his justice. He says, blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for that. If you're hungering and thirsting for God to go, you're in right standing. He said, for you're going to be what? You're going to be satisfied. You're going to be satisfied. If you're, if you're hungering and thirsting for other things, you probably will be empty. But you want to be satisfied? Go after God's approval. How about this verse? Matthew chapter five, verse 10. Listen how crazy judicial approval is. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Because of what? Because of that judicial approval. Right? We know what? People are, are, are killed, imprisoned, beaten for their standing with God. Right? And standing firm in their faith. Amen? He says, blessed are you if they persecute you because of your standing with God. For theirs, the person who is persecuted, theirs is what? Kingdom of heaven. That's how crazy righteousness is. If you pursue it, you'll be satisfied. If you have it, you're willing to accept persecution. That's insane. How about this verse? Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. Jesus says this. I tell you that unless you're what? Unless your judicial approval, your judicial standing shall be high. Oh, okay, gotcha, right? Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. And guess what the Pharisees knew? The Pharisees knew what? They knew the law of God. Forwards and backwards. Memorized it. Right? They practiced it. They did everything right. Right? When it came to the letter of law, these people were crazy. Crazy righteous. He says, unless your right standing with God surpasses that of these people and the teachers of the law, he says, guess what? You'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. So you think righteousness is important? Yes or no? Yeah. Hugely important. And when we jump in next week, you're going to see how much more important it is. You're going to see its power. And then you're going to see the fight or the struggle that the devil's schemes have prepared for you in making sure that you own this piece of armor that you got through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. I'm not sure we've done a good job explaining you. So I'm not sure that people have really come to understand how amazing you are. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we continue to learn more, one, that teach us truth. God, you know that if... That if, if what I'm learning or what, I, what I'm teaching isn't of you, that I pray that you will redirect me in that. 
But man, Lord, if it's the truth, I pray that we would love it and we'd live it and we'd let it conform us in this journey because this truly is good news. And it's all because of Jesus. Thank you for these people. Bless them as they leave tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.